Welcome to The Peacebuilding Practitioner, a resource page and podcast for people working on conflict, on peacebuilding and on social justice issues. My name is Bjorn Eser and I'm the founder of and shaker and maker behind The Peacebuilding Practitioner. And today you're listening already to the third episode of season number two of the Peacebuilding Practitioners podcast. In this episode, Antonia will talk about the geometry of conflict and how a change in mindset affects the way we report about conflict settings. So let's get going. Welcome, Antonia. Hello, fellow journalists, peacebuilders and changemakers. I am glad you're joining me for another episode of our podcast on conflict-sensitive journalism. I am Antonia Koop, former war journalist, technology innovator, serial entrepreneur and international coordinator of PicoJohn, the Peace and Conflict Journalism Network. And today I would like to explore with you the second principle of conflict-sensitive journalism, the geometry of conflict. Principle 2. Framing the conflict. Two-party versus round-table geometry. The second principle is all about framing. But before we can look at how journalists frame conflicts in their reporting, I think we should take a look into our own heads. Most of us human beings have not been trained on analyzing conflict or on questioning and dissecting the conflict narratives presented to us. Naturally, and due to the cultural imprint we have received through our upbringing, we tend to look at conflicts in a relatively simple way. Who is against whom? And what is the conflict about? We think of a conflict as party A versus party B, quarreling over something they both want or they can't agree on. In reality, conflicts are rarely that clear-cut and simple. Traditional reporting of conflict tends to fall into the same trap of oversimplification. There are several reasons for this. First, journalists are human beings, and we struggle against the same assumptions, biases and cultural frames in our heads everyone else struggles with. Few journalists have learned to analyze conflict in a systemic and scientific way, and so we often don't question the simple A versus B logic. The second reason for conflict being overly simplified in the media lies in the evolution of conflict journalism. The first war reporters were either part of the army or following in its footsteps in what we will today call embedded reporting. Their reporting was aimed at sending back messages from the front, messages that were supposed to share the glory of our army and the progress made and victories won. Essentially, they were part of the propaganda machinery. For the first war reporters, their world therefore was quite simple. There was our side and there was the enemy, a mindset that we're still struggling to overcome. The third factor for how media simplifies conflict is rooted in how we perceive our audiences and readers. Journalists are acutely aware that their audiences have short attention spans. The news are read over breakfast or on the tablet while commuting to work and most readers want the crucial facts quickly but lack patience with in-depth explanations. The complexity of conflict doesn't sit well in this format. To make the complicated digestible and fit for format, and sometimes constrained by their own limited understanding, journalists tend to oversimplify conflicts, reporting them in a way that Jake Lynch called the two-party geometry. 
Two-party geometry means conflict is seen as dual, with two parties fighting over one goal. The simple A versus B logic I described earlier. Seeing conflict as dual has implications. In such a logic, the parties are opponents. Every gain of one party is a loss for the other party. The only way to get what one party wants is by defeating the other. Therefore, the only possible outcomes are victory or defeat. Journalists count the wins and losses, focusing on the death toll, territory won or lost and the equipments used by the opponent. The key question that drives such reports is, who will win? Describing a conflict as two parties fighting over one goal creates a tug-of-war logic. Imagine a game of tug-of-war. The sharks on one side, the tigers on the other side. The sharks pull hard, the tigers lose a meter of ground. The tigers pull harder and gain some of it back. The sharks yell and dig their heels into the ground. As you can gather from that mental image, seeing conflict as tug-of-war leads to escalation. Conflict is presented like a sports game, where it is all about who will win. The game is a competition. The problem is that conflict isn't a sports match. Once our conflict parties compete, escalation is inevitable. What it takes to achieve constructive conflict resolution or transformation is collaboration. But collaboration isn't an option in tug-of-war. From a journalist's point of view, reporting a conflict as a tug-of-war is not a peace-building problem. Journalists might rightfully argue that peace-building isn't their job. But two-party geometry is also a failure of accuracy. Conflicts are never that simple. There are never two parties only that fight over one simple thing. Conflicts are messy. Accuracy is a genuine journalistic requirement, and to be accurate, our reporting needs to capture that mess. How do we do that? Reporting conflict accurately requires journalists to identify all stakeholders and give all of them equal opportunity to express their perspectives, interests and needs. In conflict-sensitive journalism, reporters identify the many diverse stakeholders. Instead of aggregating them into two parties, journalists explore their unique interests and needs and see each of their contributions as equally important regardless of their status, power or numbers. By presenting the views of multiple diverse stakeholders, media reports become a channel for communication among the various actors in a conflict situation. This is discursive journalism in action. Our reports open a round table, where each stakeholder has their place and the issues can be laid open to be worked on together. The key questions are not who will win, but who is involved, And what do all these stakeholders really want? These questions open up dialogue. They encourage collaboration instead of stressing adversity and contradictions. Journalists here are not asked to go beyond their mandate. They do not argue for a particular party or cause. They do not provide solutions. But by being genuinely journalistic, their work becomes a catalyst for collaboration. And only through collaboration can our villagers pull the goat back out of the well. Let me give you an example. Most of us will have heard about Israel and Palestine. Now, think about that conflict which has accompanied us for generations. In most of our heads we think of Israel versus Palestine, a classical example for two-party geometry. 
Now, Israel and Palestine are not very homogeneous societies. When we take a closer look, two-party geometry falls into many smaller pieces. Let's take Israel. Israel is a society that is composed of many different cultures. People have immigrated to Israel from all over the world. Thus time, I think, a quarter of the population came from um, the region that was the former Soviet Union, or Russia. People have immigrated from countries on the African continent, from Europe, from the United States, from all over the place. This creates a, a melting pot of different cultures. Israel also has a significant Arabic community and a Muslim community, so it is not all Jewish. Even among the Jewish members of Israel society, there are vast differences. There are the very modern, moderate Jewish communities of Tel Aviv, and then there are the very traditional ones, many of them living in um, Jerusalem. So those have very different views on society today, very different ideas about how things are supposed to be run, and they're often in conflict with each other. The Palestinian side doesn't look much smoother. On the Palestinian side, we often think of a Muslim community, but Palestine has a lot of Christian community members as well. Between the Christian and the Muslim community members, there isn't always harmony either. Within the country, there are those fractions that just want to create a moderate living environment for themselves. And there are those forces who think in their struggle for independence for their own state, violence is a justifiable means to the end. So within those societies, um, there are a lot of contradictions internally and, of course, against the various other groups involved. But there are also commonalities, and sometimes you find them in places where you don't look. For example, I remember being told about a charity that has set up, and they call themselves the Bereaved Families Movement. Those are people from the Israeli side as well as the Palestinian side who suddenly found that they had a lot in common. They all lost family members and even children because of the conflict. And so they chose to work together to solve the problems. So I think this example shows us that while from the outside taking a helicopter view, often conflicts look like they are composed of two parties only. But when we take a closer look, we find out there are a lot of different stakeholders, different interests, different perspectives involved, and different ideas for what might be a possible solution. Our role as journalists is to really find out what is truly going on and not to stick to a simple, superficial logic of that conflict. This is by no means a comprehensive analysis of this particular conflict. It's just an example. But I think it shows very nicely the second principle of conflict-sensitive journalism. The second principle of conflict-sensitive journalism is to be very mindful of the geometry of conflict. Presenting conflict in a simplified way that resembles a tug-of-war or a soccer match is plain inaccurate. Instead, journalists need to explore the complexity of conflict, the diverse stakeholders and their needs. They present conflict as a round table where each party has its own unique place and the parties are required to collaborate to solve the problem together. To do this, we need to overcome our own biases and need to abandon those journalistic habits that have accompanied us since the first embedded journalists who reported from the battlefields. 
The biggest challenge is to find ways to then fit our complex conflict stories into a format that our readers and audience can fit into their busy life. How to do that? We'll work on that in our next episodes when looking at the other tools in the conflict-sensitive journalism toolbox. This is where we have reached the end of our third episode. In the next one, we will look deeper into the impact of two-party geometry on our reader's understanding or misunderstanding of conflicts, and we will explore ways of framing that help us avoid oversimplification while maintaining clarity in complex conflict stories. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you'll join me again next time. Keep the great work up and stay safe and sane. So much for today. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you hit the subscribe button so you won't miss out on any of the future episodes. And I would really appreciate if you leave me a rating on iTunes, on Spotify, Stitcher or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you want to learn more about the Peacebuilding Practitioner, head over to my webpage. That's www.thepeacebuildingpractitioner.org where you find plenty of articles from practitioners for practitioners. And if you want to dive even deeper into this field of work, join us for one of our online courses. If you want to learn more about that, just get in contact with me. you find the contact details in the show notes or on my webpage. <music>